welcome to the Climb Your Mountain podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Maurer, a life coach, certified ultra running coach, and high altitude mountaineer. Each week, I show you how to train, eat, think, and live like an athlete so you can reach that summit, hike that hike, or finish that trail race. My passion is to empower people of all ages and sizes to get outside and live lives of adventure. Remember, endurance training will never be easier than today. So let's dive into the show. Hey friends, how you doing? I am all right. There are a few things that are getting a little lifey right now, but I'm hanging in there. (laughs) The last one that is on my mind is kind of funny, so I'll share it with you. I was just on a practice session for the certification class I'm taking, and the teacher called on me and she was like, Sarah, you were just making the weirdest face on the Zoom. So I had to call on you. Like she has a funny sense of humor like that. (laughs) And I was like, oh shit, what face was I making? And I was real quick, like made up some excuse. I'm like, oh, sorry, something distracted me in my house. I'm I'm totally fine. (laughs) And then just kind of went into it. But yeah, it kind of like shook me up a little bit. And I think the reason it did is because this has happened to me before on Zooms. I was at a work meeting a couple years ago where someone was actually like, oh my gosh, Sarah's making a weird face. And they actually got in trouble for saying that. Like the boss was like, that's not an appropriate thing to say like during a Zoom meeting. But now I'm like, am I this person that just makes weird faces in all the Zoom meetings? Is that what's really going on? And I was kind of freaking out about that for a while today. And then I really, you know, came to a perspective shift that went like that went like this. And it was like, what if I am making weird faces like all the time? Like, so what? (laughs) What if I do this all the time? I've I've made it this far in life making funny faces. You know, it hasn't held me back. That's why I'm a podcaster, not a YouTuber. (laughs) So there you go. Like strange insights into my head. Anyway, friends, today I am jumping into a topic that I know I bring up all the time and you guys are probably like, what's going on? How can that be true? Why does she think that? So today we're just going to unpack it all. And it's the idea that all training plans work. Can we prove this objectively like in a lab with scientists? No, not on your life. Are there probably occasional exceptions to this? Yes. Is the thought, all training plans work, a helpful thought for recreational athletes? Yes, that's the way I say it to you all the time, so let me tell you why. Here it is. Choosing a training plan can be a big stumbling block for athletes. I I know so many people who get so hung up on what works, what doesn't. They're spinning in confusion. They're looking for the perfect plan that doesn't exist. They're believing there are right and wrong choices. And yeah, that's a lot of time and mental energy that honestly they could be spent spending either training or doing something fun outside of training, like living their life. It's just taking away. There's nothing good about that place where you're just spinning around, like worrying about the training plan, the training methodology, all this stuff that doesn't really matter so much. I'll get into some examples of why in just a moment. And why do we do this? I think part of the reason why is we get so wrapped up 
part of the reason why we get so wrapped up in this is often it's because we want the training plan to make all the decisions for us rather than taking responsibility for ourselves in training. And we do this with training plans. We also do this with coaches, which I'll get to in just a moment. And I'll get, I can tell you from experience that this whole idea that you're going to leave all the decisions to the training plan is a terrible idea. And an example from my own life, whenever I was getting ready to climb Mount Rainier, I was in a, a class and we, the, the Mount Rainier climb was actually the graduation climb for the class. And in this class, we were introduced to a book that had a training plan in it that had some examples of what it might look like to train for Mount Rainier. And then it actually had a plan, like I think it was 14 weeks to train for Mount Rainier. And this was a fairly aggressive plan, but because it was what I had and I didn't know a whole lot about training and I like to do things right, I decided I was going to follow it and basically like was ready to follow this mountaineering training plan into the grave. Like I did everything every day as as prescribed by the plan no matter how i felt and to be honest this this i would i really do think this was a fairly aggressive plan it was having us do like hit one day and then like tabata the next day and lifting heavy the same day like multiple workouts a day Honestly, it worked really well for some of the people in my class. It probably could have worked for me if I would have approached it a little bit smarter, made some adjustments, let go of the parts that didn't work for me. But because I really was outsourcing like all my decisions to the plan, I wasn't listening to my own body and making the necessary adjustments, I got really overtrained. I actually had a hard time making it up Mount Rainier. I felt kind of terrible for months in training. I remember like meeting up with a friend I hadn't seen for a while and her reaction right away was like, oh my God, you look exhausted. And I'm like, I feel exhausted all because I wanted the training plan to make all the decisions instead of really trusting myself. If you need some tips trusting yourself, that's the last episode. Back it up one, check it out. Anyway, so what do we really know about training plans? I'm going to give you some truths. The first one is this. If the training plan asks you to move your body more than you are now, you will probably get more fit. Your training, your physical conditioning will improve. It's impossible not to. If the training plan gets you to work out more consistently than you do now, you will get better. If it has you do activities that are more specific for your sport, you will improve. It's truth. It's a, it's an absolute truth that you'd have to work hard to follow even a mediocre training plan and get worse. And one exception to this, I think, is in the upper levels of, of athleticism. Whenever you're a competitive athlete at a very high level, competing with others, wanting to win big races, I think there the details get more important. But still, even at that level, there are many paths that will get you there. And one thing I really want you guys to hold is there is no right or wrong way to train for a thing. I, I, I've met so many people that have done something just completely weird and off the wall, and it's worked. There's probably people that do something weird and off the wall and it doesn't work, but it just goes to show you that we have all these rules that we heard very de- that we hold very dear <laughs> that may just be completely wrong. 
Everything I'm saying, I want you guys to hear this, also goes for coaches. You've probably heard me talk on here about a coach that I had that I thought kind of overemphasized heart rate zones, and they also set my zones too high, and that I, I always use it as an example of coaching yourself. I'm like, as soon as I left this coach and kind of listened to myself, I, I improved. I did better. And yeah, because <laughs> I think it's important to keep in mind, I was using all the things I had learned from that coach. I had probably a good seven, eight months of fitness I had gained from working with that coach. So I can't say, even though I seem to want to do it all the time, definitively that I trained myself better than the coach trained me. It could have been more like a bit of an additive, additive effect, if that makes sense. So clearly I'm full of shit and you should always take me with a grain of salt and honestly so as every other coach out there making these claims. Essentially, we're all in our subject all in our subjective reality. <laughs> A lot of what we say is made up, always question. So <laughs> now that we've got that out of the way, I do think that this whole idea that all training plans work, that all methods work, that they all have merit, that they all can work for people is also useful in other areas of life. Like one area this comes up a lot for me is in business building. For those of you out there who are coaches, who are entrepreneurs, there is a million journeys you can take to building a business that you love. And it's funny, always funny when I get together with other coaches, like everybody is like spitting all the rules at each other. Things like, at least in the life coaching industry, I think in personal training too, there's this big idea that you should do individual coaching before you do group coaching or before you have a program. And everybody has like a way they think too. I don't know, like, like, what's the word? <laughs> Dial in the social media. Like, you have to post on Instagram eight times a week. I, I heard this. My favorite one I've heard is that you have to make it like a magazine. So on Monday, it's a personal story. On Tuesday, it's like a quote. And on Wednesday, it's something about like a tip. And on Thursday, it's an offer, <laughs> which is so funny. Like, someone, the person that was explaining this to me, like, learned it in a class. And I'm like thinking, did they not talk? about like stories and reels, which are actually the parts of Instagram I think are really fucking fun, but <laughs> apparently not. Anyway, and then there's this whole idea as a life coach, you have to charge $100 an hour to start and it completely ignores the fact that we all have different experience levels, different client populations, different niches, different goals. So yeah, I, this can, and I, I, I think there's probably, I think about parenting, like people I know who are really into attachment parenting and like terrified to do anything different. When the research really suggests that there's lots of like infinite ways to parent a kid that grows up emotionally healthy. And that's one. If you love it, definitely do it. If you don't, it's okay to let it go. You're not going to mess up your kid. So what's a training plan really? I think this is also important to keep in mind when you're, when you're choosing a training plan. It's someone's best guess about how training will go 
given certain variables. And in a moment, I'll talk about like the assumptions that are built into training plans, but they all have assumptions. I've written training plans. Mine have assumptions too. And some of those are that you're, that you're already exercising a certain numbers, a, a certain number of hours a week, that you have a certain amount of time a week to dedicate to training, that there's a certain amount of time until the goal events. And the truth is like all of these can change out of nowhere. Like life gets lifey, right? We all know that. Which means training plans are all like really good guesses. They're all equally guessy in that way. They're all equally flawed. There is no right or perfect training plan. Another way to think of this, and I speak from experience, as a runner, as a climber, I have worked by many methodologies. They all work. So some of the hobby horses that people get hung up on are periodization. I've done classic periodization. I've done reverse periodization. That's mostly what I do now. I've done block periodization, also what I do now with the reverse. Undulating periodization. I promise you, it all works. I think a couple weeks ago, I talked about the heart rate zones. I've done plans and methodologies where there's two zones. I've done it where it's seven zones. I've done it where the heart rate zones, how you set them is based on the aerobic threshold. I've done it when it's based on the anaerobic threshold. I've done plans that completely reject both the aerobic and the anaerobic threshold, which is actually a thing. There's actually kind of mixed evidence that the thresholds that as we define them even actually exist as a physiological, physiological reality that happens in your body and like we we get so stressed out like what is the heart rate of my lactate threshold what if the shit that we're stressing about is all made up (laughs) so I, I think a helpful way to think of it when I do lactate threshold training I tell myself this is a useful construct for what I'm doing right now And if it ever stops being useful, we're just going to find something else that is useful. I think that's a really helpful way to think of it. People often stress about the ramp up rate in their plan. Are there plans out there that will ramp you up too fast? Yes, absolutely. It's kind of a common complaint among athletes like my training plan, like hurt me. And here's what else you need to realize. You shouldn't be letting the plan make the decisions for you. That's an absolutely like classic case of why that's important. And for some, and keep in mind, like a plan that actually hurt you, for someone else, that plan may have ramped them up too slow. So it just all goes to show you, it's so important to know yourself. It's so important to have some basic education. That's why I assume you're all here on the podcast. You should never be outsourcing your decisions to the training plan. And if you need to do that, it's really important that you read some books, read some websites, come listen to all these podcasts starting like way back from season one, and just get a little bit more education about the basics of your sport. What else? What other hobby horses do people lack? onto. They're like, this is the one and only way. Oh, here's a good one. It's the the 90-10 training rule, the polarized training where 90% of your training is easy and 10% is hard. Or sometimes some people say 80, 20, some people say 85, 15. Um, But it's all examples of polarized training. Most endurance training is easy and then there's a little bit of hard. Generally, this is a really good idea. It gets good, durable, lasting results. However, it's time intensive and it's slow. So there's an exception to this. There's actually a trainer called Chris Carmichael 
coach called Chris Carmichael. He wrote a book. It's called Time Crunched Cyclist. Even as a runner, I found it useful and interesting to read. And he actually proposes for people that just don't have a whole lot of time to train, like an alternate training methodology where you do more less training, but it's more intense. And it does change some parameters. You have a shorter peak phase. You often, you know, can't do it like that many times a year. He, he lays all this out in the book, but does it work as he describes it? It seems like it does. There's a lot of people that say it works for them. And yeah, if you, if this is something that you, if you're a very time crunched athlete, you probably, this is probably good for you. You probably have as good a chance of any with this plan as with any other. So now that I've like busted down all the, <laughs> I wanted to say golden cows. Is that the right metaphor? Golden calves? I, I don't even freaking know. My brain's a little tired. <laughs> sacred cows. Now that we've like punched all the sacred cows in the face, how do you choose a training plan? I'm just going to give you a couple quick and dirty things. First thing, this may sound contradictory now that I told you that they all work. I do want you to do some basic research. Not to find the one that works, to find the one that works that you like best, to find the one that matches your starting fitness level, matches your goals. A couple things I always check. Check the coach's bio. Do they have the education and credentials and experience to write a training plan in this particular sport for this particular event? Do they have experience coaching this sport, performing this sport as an athlete? I think those are good things to check. I tend to trust people that actually have done the thing a lot fucking more. (laughs) Believe it or not, there are people out there writing training plans that, yeah, haven't actually done the thing. And yeah, that's, that's, I would say, generally not a good thing. Another thing you can do, if you're buying it in a marketplace where there are reviews, definitely check the reviews. Things that sell well but are genuinely terrible will often get flagged in the reviews. The methodology may suck. It may just be so broken. Often, more often, I think, the product may suck. It's like this is delivered as a 20-page PDF that's incredibly hard to read and impossible to print. So these are all good things to check. How did other people receive this? Did it work for them? Was it easy to follow, easy to use? Overall, a good product. The other thing you want to check, check any assumptions that come along with this plan. Big ones that I would really check, starting fitness level, hours per week to start and then also at peak. It's going to be a lot more at peak generally. What kind of activities will you be doing? Are those things that make sense for you? If the if the plan has you running up a mountain, do you have a mountain available? Or at least do you have an inclined treadmill that could reasonably simulate that? And then I would also check how fast it builds. Generally, things labeled as beginner build slower. Um, the 10% rule is is kind of a good place to start. Like the volume should increase 10% per week. A lot of times, advanced athletes can advance faster, and, and almost every athlete can advance a little faster in the beginning. So 10% once you're into it, and maybe less than 10% once you're getting near peak, but Um, Yeah, take a look at how it's building. See if that feels doable for you. And then once you've got all this information, you're going to narrow it down to your top two to three training plan candidates. And what I want you to do then is just with a piece of paper, write down what do you like about each one? Just go through, write all the things you like. 
And then the next step is to look at all those, those things you like, circle the ones you especially love, the ones that give you kind of a hell yes in your body, the ones that just feel really good, that you feel really drawn to. And then the one with the most circles wins. <laughs> and once you do that, because no training plan, at least none that I've found, is like perfect for me. They've all got things I want, things I wish were different, like none of them are perfect, it's probably going to bring up some mind drama. And if that's happening for you, definitely come to me and get coached on all the ways you hate your training plan, all the protests and excuses that come into your mind. And let's just like knock those down one by one so you can get busy, get started and get out of training plan drama that is just like taking your energy and holding you back. So friends, there's an opinionated one for you. (laughs) If you have any questions, definitely reach out to me on the Instagrams. That's generally where I hang out these days. You can also find a couple other ways to contact me in the show notes. And yeah, I'll be back here next week on Wednesday. Talk to you then. And until then, go get it.